Hello, welcome to our continuing 2017 educational webinar series. I am Dr. Jill Brooks, Senior Director of Education for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, a hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. Our theme for April focuses on revenue cycle management, and today we are so pleased to have Pam Jocelyn of Practice Management Institute presenting Transforming Your Revenue Cycle for Success. Pam has more than 20 years of medical practice management, coding, reimbursement, and compliance experience. She's managed medical practices ranging from single to multi-specialty groups and ASC. She is an advocate of process improvement and empowering employees to bring about the best practice results for the organization. She's a community college adjunct professor and serves on three advisory boards. She, reserved, she received her master's in management from the University of Phoenix. She maintains a member membership to the MGMA and AAPC. She maintains these memberships in professional organizations to support her continuing cycle of learning in the ever-changing healthcare industry. Practice Management Institute work with, works with healthcare systems, hospitals, medical societies, provider organizations, and learning institutions nationwide to provide training for administrative staff working in outpatient facilities. Classes address the latest updates relevant to medical office coding, billing, operations, and compliance. Since 1983, thousands of medical office professionals have attended PMI training. Nearly 20,000 have earned one or more PMI certifications in their areas of expertise. If you are uh, in need of PMI uh, certification, the CEU certificate is available for download on the control panel. A copy of her slides are also available for download on the control panel. Your PACOM CU certificate will be emailed to you from PACOM following the broadcast. It usually takes about two days. There's no need to request it. Additional CEU opportunities will also be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. Please check their website for details. Go ahead, Pam. Thank you very much, Jill. And once again, uh, it is my pleasure to be here and share uh, transforming your revenue cycle for success on behalf of Practice Management Institute. I think we would all agree revenue cycle management in your practice can be a great success, success story, or it can also be very troublesome and uh, time-consuming and unsuccessful. So hopefully uh, today we'll be able to give you some tools and tips to look where you are and hopefully to help you develop a success story within your own organization. So let's first take a look. When we talk about revenue cycle management, what are we actually talking about? So the Healthcare Financial Management Association defines revenue cycle as all administrative and clinical functions that contribute to the capture, management, and collection of patient service revenue. In other words, it is the entire life cycle of the patient's accounts from the beginning to uh, the end of their services and the payment. A revenue cycle processes flow into and they affect, affect one another. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, breaking down each one of those steps of the revenue cycle management so you can see how success or not being successful can impact the entire cycle. 
Problems identified early in your revenue cycle management uh, can have a significant positive uh, effect on the entire uh, revenue cycle. Uh, if you have an error uh, that there may be an inefficiency within one of these steps in your revenue cycle management, it will impede and impact the overall uh, revenue uh, income from your practice. So looking at revenue cycle management, what do we actually manage? This starts with the initial contract, payer contracts that come into our organization. Then the, the patients come to us through registration, pre-registration, verifying the eligibility. Then we have the patient encounter and the EMR creation, the, the documentation and coding piece of it starts to begin. The charge entry, the claim submission, looking at payment posting, patient billing, uh, denial reject management, and then the patient payer follow-up. And taking it one step even uh, after the patient payer follow-up, but looking at the metrics and key indicators uh, that we need at each and every one of our practice, no matter what size it is, so that we can measure and give feedback uh, to the success of our revenue cycle within our organization. So when we, before we talk about revenue cycle management, just a little history lesson as to some of the struggles and challenges that we have in the practices, no matter what your size is, in being successful with the revenue cycle management. Uh, referring back to the National Health Insurer Report Card of 2011, revealed that 19.3% of claims paid by commercial insurance companies were incorrect. And in addition to that, our patients now owe larger portions of their medical bills due to increase in deductibles and cost share of employer premiums. High deductible health plan statistics. The Affordable Care Organization has lowered the uninsured rate in the United States from 15.7% in 2009 to 9.1%. So healthcare systems used to uh, collect the majority of their healthcare reimbursements from the government or the commercial payers. So from the time span of 2011 to 2014, the number of consumer payments to healthcare providers increased 193%. So with this significant increase, you can see why you you need to be more sensitive with the struggles that your patients are having and set up appropriate policies in your office to be able to accommodate them. Looking here, moving from the worker contribution that we had to the employer contribution, the shift of 58 some percent of the total premium increase. So not only do they have higher co-pays, higher deductibles, they also have a significant increase in the premiums that they're paying in their workplace. They have high deductibles. Uh, because of this, patients are, are struggling because of the increased out-of-pocket uh, cost when they come to your uh, practices. The Kaiser Family uh, Foundation put out an excellent report that speaks to this about the average annual out-of-pocket cost uh, per patient and how it rose from 2006 to 2015 some 230%. And this same study found employee deductibles on an average increase from 67% from 2010 to 2015. 
rising insurance deductibles have outpaced the average increase in the employees' wages during the past five years. Workers' rate wages increased 1.9% between April of 2014 and April of 2015. So therefore, Americans' out-of-pocket medical expenses have jumped a 9% in that same time span. 24% have employees enrolled in employer-sponsored high-deductible plans in 2015, up from 4% from employees in 2006. There's about 52% of employees that offered a minimum of one high-deductible health insurance plan in 2015. And given the choice of high-deductible options, there's about 41% of employees that choose the high-deductible health plan. So over the last two years, enrollment in PPOs has fallen around 10%, while enrollment in the high deductible plans has increased 8%. So as deductibles continue to uh, rise at a faster rate than uh, your patients or your workers' wages, and as the number of patients uh, continue to enroll in high deductible plans increases, a greater number of your insured patients, uh, I'm sure, have already been sharing with you difficulties that they're having paying their medical bills. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, 43% of insured patients said they delayed or they've skipped a physician-recommended test or treatment because of the high cost associated uh, with premiums and uh, deductibles. So for those patients whose deductibles equaled 5% or more of their annual income, it's reported that 40% said they chose not to see a physician, get a medical test, or visit a specialist due to the financial difficulties. So when patients delay necessary or preventive medical care, uh, we know, and I'm sure you see this in your practices already, they end up in hospital emergency rooms for their treatment. So around 80% of this emergency, um, physicians say they're treating insured patients who have sacrificed or they've delayed their medical care due to uh, unaffordable out-of-pocket costs uh, or coinsurances or high deductibles. So the Kaiser Foundation survey of employees found employee deductibles increased 67% in the years 2010 to 2015. And with the, um, uh, the ACA marketplaces, almost 90% of enrollees that are in a plan, they have uh, a deductible that is beyond the qualifying threshold for the um, high deductible plan. So in healthcare, being uh, very aware and yet uh, sensitive of, of all these changes, and as healthcare spending continues to climb, um, according to the health um, affairs, healthcare spending is predicted to outpace the gross domestic product growth through uh, 2024. Healthcare spending is continued to grow at a rate of 5.8% from the year 2014 to the, to the year 2024. And so if that happens, it's expected to be a 19.6% increase with the gross domestic product by the year 2024. So in summary, why do we need to, to manage the, the revenue cycle in our practice? 
uh, it's because of these difficulties that we're already experiencing with our patients. 24% uh, of, of them are in high deductible plans, 600% increase over the past 10 years. The average out-of-pocket cost for patients has increased 230% over this same time span. And more than 90% of the people that are enrolled through our exchange programs are in high deductible health plans. So does this change the way we need to manage um, uh, and support our patients and, and what kind of impact it's going to have on our revenue cycle? Absolutely. So looking at each step of the revenue cycle management, we're going to talk about payer contracts, the registration, pre-registration, eligibility verification, the, uh, the documentation piece, the BMR creation, coding, capturing charges, claim submission, uh, processing payments, patient billing, denial management, moving over into the follow-up and setting our metrics. So the beginning of your success story with the revenue cycle management begins with your payer contracts, knowing what your relationship is, uh, communicating this to your staff that um, is involved with this information and being able to educate your patients when they first come to your practice. Everyone in your practice, whether they realize it or not, are involved in the revenue cycle. Very often in our classes, we have all these components of the revenue cycle, but when we speak about revenue cycle management, it's not a term that they uh, are familiar with because they operate in their own little, little silos. So giving them a very broad understanding of how what they do in their individual areas is a, a huge part of the, of the success story in your practice. So when patients come to you, making sure that you gather the accurate patient information before and during registration is crucial. Uh, collecting patient demographics, insurance information during the scheduling initial phone call with your patient, any authorizations uh, that need to happen with the procedure, and explaining uh, your financial policy and eligibility and benefits to your patients. Many of your patients do not understand their benefits, and, and fortunately or unfortunately, it lies within someone within your organization to have the knowledge and the communication skills to be able to explain this to your patients. It's the beginning of a communication. It's the beginning of a relationship. And any relationship, the more information, the more connection we have in the beginning, the better success uh, we can have with that relationship. Also telling them how they're going to be uh, reminded. How, what do they prefer? Phone calls? text, electronic communication, and also um, when your patient comes in, ensuring that your front desk always verifies demographics. Uh, there's actually, uh, if we would do a poll, I think there would probably be a very low percentage of you that could actually say that your front desk does this, even 50 or 60 percent because everyone in all the revenue cycle steps are very busy. But understanding the impact of not doing this on a regular basis is huge. You want to give uh, uh, the people, your employees in these positions feedback as to the um, success story, but also the consequences of not verifying this. For identity theft, that's another reason you want your front desk always verifying uh, with the insurance, 
and uh, with some uh, type of ID. Also collecting co-pays at the time of service is a core function of the front office staff. It's very important. This needs to be reflected also in your financial uh, policy. So uh, we have the patient all registered. We have the benefits. They've come into your practice and met your front desk person who is also uh, very pleasant but skilled in collecting copays uh, from your patient and moving through uh, the encounter. So uh, we're looking at a report from the Office of Inspector General, fondly known to us as the OIG. And they found that around 55% of claims for evaluation and management services were coded incorrectly. This comes from a uh, 2014 report. Or it lacked documentation, which resulted in $6.7 billion in improper payments. Now, all of our providers work very hard you know, for their money, everyone in the practice that does. So when you bill out properly, and uh, your documentation and the patient's story uh, is a mirror of your coding and, and vice versa, and you ever undergo an audit, there's a higher chance that you have this mirroring that you're going to keep the money. So when you, you may bill out, but if you're in an audit and your documentation and your coding is not reflective of each other, then you get into a classification called improper payments. Yes, you were paid, but when you're audited, that you don't get to keep the money. So according to this same OIG report, there was 26% of all these claims for evaluation and management that were overcoded. And that means that the documentation supported a lower level than what was billed. Also, 15% of all E&M services were undercoded. Very often, uh, we will uh, be with providers and their staff. Uh, they, they'll take the undercoding and try to kind of fly under the wire with that. But in an audit, if your documentation doesn't match the coding, it can be upcoding or undercoding. Either one of them is non-compliant. 19% were lacking sufficient documentation or billed under the wrong category of code, uh, like uh, whether it's an inpatient or an outpatient, the wrong place of service. Looking at cloned notes as well, I mean, uh, the electronic support that we have uh, is just amazing. But also being aware of the impact of how we can work negatively uh, against our practices is huge as well. Looking at supporting the medical documentation, appropriateness of the patient. They uh, can also present risks when the providers overuse a copy-paste feature the autofill templates, and this creates cloning notes. Uh, this happens a lot with the review of systems and the physical exam, where it's brought over from another visit and not uh, documented and not reviewed within the system. So the old rule of thumb is, if it wasn't documented, it wasn't done. And if you didn't do it, just don't document it. Then we move on to the coding aspect of it. Um, after the encounter, and we have the, the uh, documentation from, from our providers, looking at the need for medical necessity. It needs to be reasonable and necessary to tie to the diagnosis 
uh, as to why we treat our patients. What's the chief complaint? What's the patient story? And the care that we deliver uh, needs to have a direct correlation or be medically necessary to the patient's uh, medical condition. So when we're submitting claims to our carriers, what uh, you want to look at when you're looking at your patient's story, uh, we are telling the payer the why of the service. This is the diagnosis, uh, this is the procedure that we did, and this is why um, a service was performed. So by telling the story of why the diagnosis reported helps support what we call the medical necessity of the procedure. An example of that is a patient can come in, they present to the office with chest pain, physician orders uh, an ECG, EKG, so then you have the procedure code that you send in for that, the 93000. So the reason the physician ordered the ECG is because the patient is complaining of chest pain. So the diagnosis code for the unspecified chest pain will be R07.9. So when this goes through your system and it hits the, the, the payer edits, the coordination between the CPT code and the diagnosis code has to be medically necessary. And your provider needs to document the diagnosis for all their procedures. A common error that we see is that the test that's ordered is very unclear for the diagnosis that's documented in the assessment. So for example, you have a patient and they're coming in with right knee pain. So the physician performs an arthrocentesis and then they order a chest x-ray. But the only diagnosis documented is the knee pain. So the question you would ask yourself, you should need to have uh, somebody on the backside uh, doing at least some type of random audit before you send this out to the carrier and you get a denial for lack of medical necessity. So then your auditor or your coder will go back to the provider and ask for clarification. And when you work with your teams to ask for clarification for querying, uh, you want to be careful that you just uh, don't ask them, is it this code or that code? Because the goal is to get the expanse of the documentation or the clarification within the documentation so that it is easy and very direct for your coder to be able to code that for your practice because all the information is there. So and then capturing your charges and then you're ready for claim submission. You've had someone looking at your claims, doing some random audits with your documentation, giving feedback to your providers, so you're all ready to go. Uh, one of the um, most common problems I've seen in practices has to be with the timeliness of claims submission. So having a written policy for the timely completion of the patient records and having the full and accurate documentation this also helps with any type of waivers, pre-authorization. The more policies you have in place in your office, it allows each individual within your revenue cycle management to work on a daily basis and feel empowered about the job they have. And if there's any outliers that they um, encounter, then that's where management would be able to come in and support them. Uh, clean claims statements, we are all first claims people, I know that, and how that just has a, a, a better cash flow for the organization. 
Uh, also, having enough skilled staff is very important to be able to do any um, step in this revenue cycle management to be able to do it effectively. You have to have the right people with the right skills. So you do your scrubbing, you send it off to your payers within the time frames. The software and the clearinghouse will help you identify problems where you can take back to your other areas of your revenue cycle. Uh, many front desk individuals have no idea how many uh, typos that they're making um, with information uh, either in, in the patient demographics or with their insurance. Giving them feedback is crucial. Very often what we see is this just gets fixed on the, the, um, the business office side. This can be very time consuming for them. And plus, as a practice manager, um, you want to reward and keep training everyone in your revenue cycle. And if they aren't aware of their mistakes or if they aren't uh, informed of how, they're, uh, how successful they're being, uh, then someone else ends up on, on the cleanup detail within your practice. So when you're looking at uh, posting payments, when you get your explanation of benefits back, just some of the things you want to uh, be aware of. And these uh, mistakes can just become typos. You want to look at false credits uh, because this can um, make uh, your uh, patient's account look incorrect. Maybe these unnoticed credits can be carried over to subsequent balance that are due. Uh, deflated uh, accounts receivable. So when you have these credit balances within the practice management system, you can have a deflated AR. Incorrect patient statements, is that not life's most embarrassing moment? Is to where uh, these credit balances and the posting errors were not captured before you send out your patient statements and then uh, you, someone in your practice has to um, talk to the patient and resolve all that and reconcile. So how do we prevent these errors? So one of the best way to prevent these errors is uh, it, in this particular um, step of, of this cycle, uh, you need to have individuals that have uh, an attention to detail. Each transaction that's posted, when you think about the positive or the potential negative impact of your patient, will kind of um, sharpen us in these areas. So looking at does the payment amount entered match the monies that was received? Does the adjustment amount entered match the contractual adjustment amount that's listed on the remittance? Does the remaining balance match the amount designated as the patient responsibility? So looking at the verification steps in this process prior to finalizing uh, the financial transactions that's posted to your um, practice management system will help you ensure accuracy and uh, most importantly, make sure that your patient's uh, statements are accurate. So moving on to your patient billing and uh, collection. I have seen over the years where the collection cycle uh, within the practice has, has shortened significantly. And uh, I see the reason for that. Uh, costs, the, when you look at the cost of continuing to send a billing statements out to your patients beyond uh, this extended cycle, uh, 
it is really not cost effective for you to do that. And remember, we're having financial policies, we're going to have a good communication with these patients so they understand, uh, they understand their financial responsibility when you send out your statement. So generally, the patient comes in, they'll pay their copay. Uh, whether you collect deductibles uh, when they leave or not, I see that everywhere uh, differently. That just needs to be your, uh, your policy within your own organization. So then you send out your first statement. Uh, if you don't get anything within 30 days, you may send out another statement. If no payment is received within 15 days, generally what I see is that uh, someone in your, on your um, collections team will make the first phone call out. Be sure to document that in the patient's file. And understanding when you're making those outbound calls, what is the best time for reaching out to our patients? Generally 8 um, to 10 in the morning, 5 to 9 in the evening, and on Saturday. So then if there's no payment that's received uh, after those 30 days, sending the last statement uh, very often, letting them know if they don't pay within a certain time frame, be sure to give them a, a time frame that it's going to be sent to a collection. Uh, very often, depending on what your policy is, there may be a second uh, phone call outbound phone call in an effort to work with the patient on this. And maybe uh, they've had a, a situation in their a life change in their situation, and maybe when they first come in, it wasn't necessary to set them up on a payment plan, but maybe something's happened in their life, and you can reach out to them and do that for them on the back side. So looking at denial rejects claims, uh, some information from the Medical Group Management Association, some of the best performing medical practices. 65% of denied claims uh, were never resubmitted and it cost about $25, even $35 to resubmit a denied claim. It just depends uh, geographically on where your practice is located. So you can see that this becomes a trade for time and a trade for money. When you, you audit and you check your claims out, even randomly, and you identify potential denials and rejects before you send them out to your carriers. And typically, 85 to 95% either get paid on the first pass or prompt an action to redirect uh, the collection to another party. Maybe it's a secondary payer uh, or the patient. And then the remaining 5 to 15% of claims are opportunities for you to improve the revenue cycle. Understanding what gets denied and gets rejected and communicating back to everyone prior that has an integral piece in your revenue cycle management. Without having the feedback, uh, your employees have no idea. Everybody, our human nature, we just do what we do and we think we're doing the right thing until it's uh, something else is brought to our attention. So now we're looking at the patient-payer follow-up, accounts, receivable. These are key indicators. This is uh, benchmarking. Uh, unless you have some type of benchmarking or key indicators, it's very difficult for you to measure your revenue cycle management and to know how successful you're being. 
So we've, you may have your own. These are just a few that we wanted to share with you. We have the gross collection percentage, and this is the percentage of gross original charges before any adjustments or contractual write-off. So we have the formula or the ratio there for you. It's your collections divided by your gross charges. Uh, the, one of the reasons we talk about these percentages and key indicators is very often, uh, of course, now we are all uh, on systems and we can order any reporting that we want and get great results. But what we see is many don't understand the information underneath the ratios. So understanding what that collections and gross charges uh, are a key indicator and each of these ratios help you understand exactly what's being successful in your practice and what can need a little bit of work. The net collection percentage, this is a percentage of collections uh, for a more realistic collectible amount. So the ratio behind your reporting that you get from your system under net collection is collection divided by charges minus your contractual adjustments minus your patient adjustments. Your accounts receivable to receipts ratio. The high ratios may indicate that some balances should be deemed uncollectible and turned over to a collection agency or written off as bad debt. So this uh, is reflective on your port as the AR balance divided by your collection. Looking at your account receivable to charges ratio. Now the value of looking at this is to look at the consistency of the calculation over a period of months. So if there is good accounts receivable management, then this number is going to be fairly consistent from month to month. And if it's not, and you have a dip or a decrease in this, then being able to look um, with each of these pieces of the ratio is where you're going to um, discover the, uh, the challenges that maybe your staff or some part of the revenue cycle before all of this identify uh, where that problem is and give that team feedback. So when you're looking at accounts receivable to charges ratio, you're going to be looking at the AR balance divided by the charges. Your average days outstanding. So this indicates how long it takes to collect on a charge or our basic turnover rate. So if this number uh, is pretty big, uh, then the, if this is, means that it's taking your insurance plan and your payments and extended time to pay you. So the turnover rate depends uh, not only on your insurance carrier payment, but also how well the AR is being managed with your medical billing and your patient collection practices. Uh, so you can see the end result when we're looking at the key indicators and we're looking at uh, the benchmarking here or whatever goals you set for yourself and then you benchmark on a monthly basis, a quarterly basis, and then uh, the, your annual basis, what goals you set for yourself, you can see what, which areas uh, in your revenue cycle management may need some type of tweaking. So when you're looking at your average days, the formula is going to be your average AR balance divided by collections times the number of days 
in the period that you're looking for the average. So let's look uh, back about the secrets to success within the revenue cycle management. Having financial policies in place will certainly help you with that initial relationship that you have with your patients. And when you then the financial policy um, needs to be communicated with everybody within your organization because empowering them with each of these steps in the revenue cycle management. Also, you can see that this is a team approach. Very often we have silos. You know, everybody just looks at their own success within their team but they don't see how it impacts everybody else in the practice. So the financial goals help you with your patients, but you also need to have policies in place for each of these uh, teams within the revenue cycle management. It helps to empower them. You'll get great feedback as to uh, their, their pains and their barriers and obstacles that they're having uh, on a daily basis as well. Uh, within each of the steps in the revenue cycle, trying to set reasonable and sustainable goals for each of them helps individuals feel engaged. Like going back to the front desk and giving them feedback on when you go to send the claims out to your clearinghouse and it just won't go because of some type of errors, either in the patient demographic or the insurance information. You do performance evaluation, right, with all of these individuals along the revenue cycle. This can be tied to performance and helping everybody um, feel good and be, be successful. If individuals, uh, you know, they don't have goals and they don't have feedback, then they have no idea how this is impacting anybody else in the overall success of the organization. Training your staff to communicate effectively with your patients. Uh, how many of you can look at, your, if you're a front desk person, uh, and if you've hired a front desk person, the skill sets have changed significantly over the years. You may have someone as a front desk person that's very pleasant and their outgoing personality and making patients feel comfortable on the phone and in person may be why you uh, hired that individual. But as we looked at the challenges uh, uh, that each of our patients may have be having because of just the changes with the high deductible plans and the employee employer relationship with the plan choices that they have, this requires individuals that can talk to your patients about money as well. Now, most of us, no matter what position we are in, we don't like to talk to people about collecting money, right? So this is where maybe your front desk staff, maybe your individuals that make this initial encounter with the patient will need some type of training to be able to communicate effectively with the patients. Educating the patient on their financial responsibility. Uh, once again, looking at that initial relationship that you have uh, with your patients. And when you have financial policies, and your team 
that interact with the patient is trained upon the same policies and you have a patient that has a concern and they may go through uh, your employee and not be happy with the response uh, they, they got and where your employees should be able to call upon the office policy. You know, your clinic policy for collecting co-pays and uh, asking uh, your patients about their financial responsibilities. And they ring in to your supervisor or to your uh, practice manager. Then because everyone's trained and everybody's on the same page, you as a practice uh, manager speak to them the same way. Uh, speak to them about their financial responsibilities, about their financial policy, because if you're consistent within your organization, this has already been communicated effectively to them, and you have a signed financial policy. So having policies in place, your staff's trained to communicate this to your patients, having your patients ask any questions, that any concerns that they have uh, before uh, they sign that, it gives everyone within your organization a common ground, a common document to speak to your patients. And then uh, looking, choosing whatever financial in indicators that you want to benchmark within your practice. You know, we gave you a, a few of the common ones, and there may be some that you want to add to that list. But understanding the ratios is a key um, to success. Looking uh, when you uh, want to share this information with your team. Um, not sharing in-depth financial information for them unless they have a need to know. But if you look at the steps of the revenue cycle, I'm sure you can see that within each of these steps, there are uh, benchmarking and metrics that you can give back to them to let them know if they're doing a good job or not. Setting the goals for them and giving feedback on a regular basis. Uh, having everybody um, understand that you know, they are important, they have an opportunity to engage in every piece of that revenue cycle, and each of their individual success stories um, contribute to the overall success of your organization. So just um, finishing up here, Jill, did you want to do uh, the questions, or did you want me to talk about the, the conference first? Hello, why don't you uh, go ahead and mention the conference and then we'll go to questions. Okay, all right. Well, I'd like to take this chance to invite you to our PMI Regional Conference. It's going to be in Dallas, uh, June the 22nd to the 23rd at the Texas Health Presbyterian in Dallas. Uh, PMI always, uh, I'll be a little bit partial here, but we always have great conferences that has uh, encompasses the full spectrum of the medical office professionals. So it doesn't matter uh, what position you have in the, the medical practice, there is something there for everybody. Okay. Uh, here, Go ahead, here sorry. Just, oh, sorry. Here are just some of the um, uh, uh, speaking engagements that I'm going to be involved in. I'm working on a team effort with the evaluation uh, management coding and auditing. Uh, we always try to make our conferences very exciting. This is a very engaging uh, hands-on piece that you might want to think about. Modifiers um, everywhere, no matter where we teach or what type of, of practice 
resources you have, uh, being knowing what modifiers uh, are appropriate for your claims, and, and telling the rest of the patient's story is, is important. Looking at improving the patient experience and taking a, a team approach is an exciting uh, session that we're going to have for you as well. And managing challenging patients and staff. I know no one ever has any conflict resolution skills needed uh, in the practice. So exciting things for you to look forward to. Then we always have a wrap-up session with our uh, presenters on stage during the final session, and the audience gets an opportunity to send in questions. It's a great way that we always end our uh, conference. Pam, if you, we have yep, if you want to go ahead and put your contact information up on the screen, and then we will move to some questions. Um, the first question is, how do I get my front desk person to collect copays consistently? Oh, we see this all the time. That is a great question. Um, never goes back to sometimes it's the skill sets of the person. We hired them to be friendly right, and be outgoing and that our patients will like them. But the skill set um, of being able to ask for money for many of our front desk individuals is a challenge for them. So, so to support them uh, in their, their skills that they have, you know, reward them for what they're doing good, but the overall, uh, how they fit into the overall success of the revenue cycle management is very, very important, maybe getting feedback to them. We've even had to monitor uh, a front desk when we, we started this in practices. We've had to have uh, the, the front desk, we would show them how, if they missed copay pays on a weekly and a monthly basis, how much money just kind of walked out of the practice. And also getting uh, management, and uh, if you have different offices and pods, getting your providers involved as well in this, uh, this support helps a whole lot with uh, communicating with them uh, the need to do this. So hopefully that information helps you out. All right, second question. I am a single physician in a new practice. What do I need to know about choosing between in-house and outsourcing my billing? Oh, that is a great question. Um, many uh, single providers starting out will actually have outsourcing and a billing agency uh, because of all of the compliance. And also think about if you're starting out, everybody um, wants their uh, first claim. They want to bill in compliance and bill accurately the first time, right? But if you're starting out in a single practice, uh, look at the obstacles you may have if you have someone that's not uh, really skilled and has a lot of compliance and can, you can work uh, together uh, in a partnership. You know, the physician always working in tandem with the billing and collections. So, uh, and then as you grow, it, it becomes a convenient thing and you look at also as a physician, you need to look at your personality, honestly, how accessibility. Uh, I've worked for providers 
that wanted that immediate accessibility to the billing and the coding staff, right? And there's nothing uh, wrong with that. There's no right or wrong. It just has to do a lot with what is your preference. Many providers are just fine with having a, um, a billing entity that they can they could that, that will come meet with them on a monthly basis that they can pick up the phone and call and then there are also billing entities that are not in the geographical area as well so you're right there are a lot of choices that we have and basically the it's going to be about what you need as a physician uh, are you going to be do you want someone that you can just pop in the office and sit down and have a talk with uh, or if you need that, then an outsourcing billing agency is not going to work for you. And then looking at, you know, compliance and um, the credible, uh, cr the credentialed individuals that you would need to hire in the beginning can be a deterrent for a single physician starting out. But definitely uh, as you grow and you build onto your practice, year after year you can take a second look at all of this and see how it's working whether you have somebody in-house or you have outsourcing you still need to have access to individuals and the same type of reporting and key indicators that we kind of talked about in our presentation today Next question. Um, what action can be taken if our managed care contract insurance company continue to deny claims that are billed correctly the first time? Ah, I spent a little little time on the other side. Yes, yeah, so I kind of, I spent some time working for a major, major carrier and I, I began to actually understand how this works better. So when I came back into consulting and instructing and practice management, I was able to better resolve because I understood the other side. And uh, we have coding edits. We have CPT, ICD-10, HCPCS modifiers, and all of all of these guidelines. And this is how your major payers pay your claims. So that's why it's so important to have someone to audit. Right, do some random auditing before uh, you send it to your payer. And an indication that there may be a problem with their edit, and this is traditionally uh, the reason uh, that, that you're talking about. You bill clean claims, but they, they are rejecting or denying. It could have be a problem with the way their edits are set up. I saw this frequently when I worked for a carrier. And to think that these are people that set up these complicated edits. And here's some key indicators you can look for in your practice. If you have claims that uh, get denied, but then you appeal them, and you're, you're doing clean coding, you're doing it right the first time, and it should have paid the first time, then chances are it could be you ask them to fix their edits. Because to me, the way I approached it is, this is a business relationship. You know, I'm, I'm billing in correct coding, in compliance, but could you please look at your edits because when I appeal, then you pay me. So looking at the business relationship with them, I've had this in several practices. Um, IT does, and payers, they do, uh, they have mapping and coding that's uh, a technological piece that's not like uh, the coding that we do, 
But what it does, it's tied to the edits and how the claims pay uh, or reject or deny. So reaching out uh, beyond customer service to a level of management and having your, your examples. Now, very often we see that individuals, it's with the practice that there's actually coding uh, problems. And paying attention to your individual payer guidelines as well. And once you have checked all that out and you um, are very confident that this should have paid the first time, reaching out to um, a provider rep or a level of management to uh, have the IT people, uh, the IT department look at that is actually very effective. Okay, we have time for one last question. Uh, there are a few more questions. We'll answer those offline. Uh, what are the biggest challenges with practices and managing the revenue cycle that you see? What are, what are the biggest challenges? Oh, that's a great question, too. Uh, the biggest challenges has to do with um, this, the, the silos within the revenue cycle, and there's not uh, accurate feedback that's given uh, to them. There's not feedback given to uh, uh, their providers about rejects and denials. The front desk person has no uh, idea about the negative impact of not checking, not verifying when people come in. Yes, you have, they've been registered, they've done the eligibility, uh, but when they come in, there may be some mistakes that the um, eligibility people, the registration did not um, catch. So within each of your revenue cycle steps, identifying their own success story and their own challenges or barriers they have to the entire um, revenue cycle and giving them feedback and making them feel engaged, setting goals for them. I think we miss this uh, a lot by not setting uh, uh, goals and letting them know um, if, if they are a success story uh, for the overall cycle revenue cycle management for that month or that time period and how we as management can help them be successful. Great. Uh, Pam, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. All right. Um, thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, please use her contact information on the screen for any further questions. Uh, as I said, we do have a few more questions, and I will send them on to the presenter. Uh, your Paycom CU certificate will be emailed to you automatically. You do not need to request it. If you would like your PMI certificate, please download that now if you haven't already from the control panel. Uh, you can register for our upcoming May webinars focusing on OSHA themes, hazardous communication, bloodborne pathogen, fire and safety, uh, recognizing and diffusing aggressive behavior. You can also request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at 1sthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. Please come see us at the uh, Practice Management Institute Conference in Dallas with uh, Pam as one of the speakers. Uh, it is June 22nd to 23rd, and I hope to see you there. Thank you very much, and have a great day.